You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com. So we've spent a good part of our weekend together thinking about our own formation into Christ and the, the basis in the kingdom of God um, uh, that Jesus taught and himself lived in and modeled. And this morning, I just want to do a, a few minutes together in what we did last night when we had our, our parish meeting of welcome and shape and send. The big idea that I want you to take from here this morning is that implicit in your calling is ascending, um, that, that fundamental to Christian spirituality is being sent. Uh, it's it, it, um, in the words of uh, a woman I dearly love from Church of the Savior in Washington, D.C., Elizabeth O'Connor. Um, she wrote a book called Journey Inward, Journey Outward. And I think that just in a lovely way captures um, Christian spirituality, that that our piety, whatever piety that we might ever develop in this life, is never meant to be for ourselves alone, but always for the good of others. But I know that that, well, at least I know it's true in, in Southern California. I have a feeling it's true in cities like Austin and Dallas and Houston and Texas as well. And, and that is that there are a lot of people who are just kind of tired of activism. They're tired of all the hype. They're tired of, you know, you know, always having to climb the next hill of someone else's vision and that sort of thing. And oftentimes people like that find their way into churches like mine in Costa Mesa, Holy Trinity, or in churches like this one at, um, at uh, Resurrection South Austin. And so I want to suggest to you this morning that you don't have to choose between two caricatures. You don't have to choose between anxious activism on the one hand as a caricature or inner navel gazing on the other as a caricature, that those aren't our only two choices. I think there's a God-ordained, grace-based way of having both a journey inward and a journey outward that go peaceably together. For many years, I served on the board of um, Richard Foster's Renovari, and I, don't, I can't remember why we were doing this. I, I remember sitting in a, in a room for a whole day, and we were trying to come up with kind of definitions of aspects of spiritual formation or something, and we're look, working in little groups. And so this is one of the definitions that we came up with in this working group. We said that as we're formed into the likeness of Christ, we increasingly share God's infinitely tender love for others. So I want you to just picture that for a moment. Again, not think about it, but picture it. That is, we're formed into the image of Christ, we increasingly share God's tender love for others. We deepen in our compassion for the poor, the broken, and the lost. We ache and pray and labor for others in a new way, a selfless way, a joy-filled way. And our hearts are enlarged towards all people and towards all creation. So that's kind of the big idea that I want you to see in the reading this morning, that as typical, Jesus on the Sabbath, if he was somewhere where there was a synagogue, he would have been in there. And it says that he was teaching. And it means that he was doing exactly what I was doing. Somebody would have stood up and read something from a scroll, and Jesus would have stood up and commented on it. And so as he comments on this reading, it's kind of like you might say his first, his first public sermon. And the people aren't getting it. Like, who is this guy? Um, I love the way Eugene Peterson gets it in the message. 
they, they asked, you know, well, who is this man? And, and uh, that's a, that's a the, the emphasis in the Greek is on like this man. It's pejorative. It's a negative. Like, it's sort of like we might say, who's this guy think he is? To just sort of stand up and say something so, you know, sort of all encompassing after a reading like that. And uh, Eugene has it in the message. Who does he think he is? They tripped over what little they knew about him and fell sprawling and never got any further. And so again, I want you to just hear in this that the passage says that Jesus went among the villages teaching and he called the 12 to him and began to send them out. And that this marks a rhythm that there is in the reign of God. That as we begin to derive our life from the kingdom and live it in the kingdom, as we've been saying, that this then informs our perspective on mission, or as you say here, on your sentness, right? Welcome, shape, send. And so what I want you to hear this morning is that everything we've been talking about with regards to spiritual formation in the kingdom, that's the same imagination you want to have for your sentness, that you're sent into the reign of God and to notice the reign of God. Um, you'll notice that the, the words that often come out of the sort of activism that many of you have rejected, what you heard all the time, right, is that we want to build the kingdom of God or we want to extend the kingdom of God. And I just want to say to you that those verbs are never found in the New Testament with reference to the kingdom of God. The verbs in the New Testament with reference to that noun, the kingdom, are to receive and to enter. Just get out of Greek concordance someday and do the work, and you'll, you'll see that those are the verbs, that the kingdom is a gift that we receive, and it's a realm that we enter, and that as we enter it, then the church does become instrument and means of the kingdom, but only first having received it as a gift and entering it as a realm and giving ourselves to it. And seeing it this way is really important because it works against our instincts to achieve or enlarge and it rather works towards a more quiet, humble, but joy-filled submission that in the manner that Jesus had to his father, right? So Jesus said, I only do what I see my father doing. So that, here's what that means. Everybody look at me. Here's what that means. It means that day when he walked by the pool of Bethsaida and noticed perhaps scores of sick people, his attention was drawn to the one man who he said, pick up your mat and walk. It means he didn't live in anxiety towards everything else. He just did what he saw his father doing. If this is what his father was doing, if this is how the father was expressing his rule and reign through him, then, then this is what Jesus did and was able to just kind of trust the rest. But for us to live into this, this more humble but joy-filled submission, this is what then gets us back to the journey inward. This requires a lifestyle of repentance, of turning from other hopes and loyalties. Because the church can't be faithful to the kingdom while looking to the wider culture to get its sense of identity or to find the measure for its success. Rather, as we've been learning this weekend, we get our identity from God's not yet completed covenantal story, that big story I told you the other night, from Adam and Eve to Abraham to Israel to the church. As Paul put it in Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's handiwork created in Jesus Christ to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. And that means then that daily life becomes a formational discipline of asking God how we can move more exactly into his realm and how we can better welcome and receive it into the fabric of our lives, always for the sake of others. 
And so Jesus then has been modeling this for the disciples. He calls them to himself. He sends them out, teaching them how to live under the authority of the kingdom, to be a willing subject to God's reign, and to trust and be loyal to the Father, even as Jesus had been. Now, the one thing I also want you to notice in this passage is that Jesus gave orders. And I just want to stop and just let you ask for the sake of this moment, could Jesus tell you what to do? Is that okay? Or does that violate kind of your sense of Jesus as my buddy, Jesus as my intimate? Because I've been at this long enough to know that what's happening is that whole notion of, you know, a kind of an intimacy that would never allow God to actually say anything to you or tell you anything is a reaction to a distant, theologically conceptual God. And I get that. Any of you who came out of those sorts of places where Christianity was doctrinaire and it was just about these intellectual concepts about God and people react to that and want to have a closer, more intimate, personal relationship with Jesus. That's great, obviously, but within that, could Jesus say to you, do this, don't do that, move here, don't move there, I, I, th this is my chosen vocation for you, not that. Like that has to stay in play here or listen to me, you won't be able to live into your sentness. That third circle will just be religious rhetoric. He has to be able to actually send you, <laughs> which means he has to be able to tell you something, right? Otherwise, it's just kind of a nice motif of welcome, shape, send. But this, uh, so I just wanted you to hear this this morning so that you can see then that it's really vital that Jesus remains having authority to command us. It's super important that we keep in our mind that he has that kind of authority. Here's why. Because it's that same authority that you're gonna wish you had when you stand in front of a demonized person or a sick person or a tragic social issue. You're gonna want to know that you have authority at that moment and power. You're gonna to wanna to know that you actually have sentness, that you're not there as an accident wondering, now what do I do? Are you, are you feeling me here? So that authority that we give ourselves to is the very same authority then that we carry with us to announce the kingdom of God, to embody it in our way of being, to demonstrate it in works of justice and generosity and healing and all the ways that God want, might want to do something through us. So then the 12 go out, as the text says, mimicking Jesus. They'd seen Jesus going around, so now they're going around. Jesus had taught about the kingdom, now they are. Jesus had cast out demons and healed the sick, and now they're sent out to do the same thing. So the last idea I want to leave you with this weekend is this. What are we meant to experience, right? Not so much what are we meant to know, but what are we meant to experience as, re as we respond to this double movement to both come to Jesus in our formation to Christ and to be sent by him? What are we meant to experience as we work for healing and wholeness, as we do, as this text said, travel modestly and lightly in the world, realizing our interdependence, you know, as Jesus sent them out two by two, and realizing our dependence on God? What is it that we're actually supposed to experience? And what I want to say to you comes from, I'll just never forget, I, I guess I'm thinking about Eugene these days, but 
I'll just never forget when the first paperback editions of the message started coming out. They didn't come out all at once. I think Psalms came out first, and then I think Matthew. And those of us who were excited about it would buy these little paperbacks until the whole Bible came out. Well, I remember when Matthew came out, and I read the introduction to Matthew. Uh, and obviously, when Matthew came out, I read the inter- Eugene's introduction to it. And it's a couple of paragraphs, but it's worth reading to you with the hope that it would give you an imagination. This is, this is something I have soaked myself in for 20-some years. I forget when this came out, but somewhere in the early 90s, maybe. And so I've been soaking myself in it all that time. And I want to commend it to you uh, to give you an imagination for what sentence might feel like. The story of Jesus doesn't begin with Jesus. God had been at work for a long time. And you know that now, right? Because I've told you that whole big story. So the story of Jesus doesn't begin with Jesus. God had been at work for this whole long time. Salvation, which is the main business of Jesus, is an old business. Jesus is the coming together in final form of themes and energies and movements that had been set in motion before the foundation of the world. So Matthew opens the New Testament by setting the local story of Jesus in that big world historical context. He makes sure that as we read the account of the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, that we see the connections with everything that had gone before. So that throughout Matthew, fulfilled is one of his characteristic verbs. Over and over again in Matthew, he writes, such and such happened that it might be fulfilled. So Jesus is unique, but he's not odd. Better yet, Matthew tells the story in such a way that not only is everything previous to us completed in Jesus, but we're completed in Jesus. And this is the sentence I just hope the Spirit will just kind of make indelible on your heart and head as you think of your sentence. Every day we wake up in the middle of something that's already going on. So you know what that means, Res South Austin? You don't have to make anything happen. You don't have to live under the anxiety of making something happen, of achieving metrics, of hitting goals. Rather, you just wake up and notice how you are completed in this whole big story I've been telling you all weekend. And that this story that's been going on for a long time, genealogy and geology, history and culture, the cosmos, God. And we're neither accidental nor incidental to this story. But from this story, we get orientation, briefing, background, and reassurance. Really? Is that the story that orients your life? Is that big story I've been telling you all weekend, is that where you get briefing? Like think of fighter pilots or something sitting in a briefing room or policemen, you know, doing roll call, getting their briefing for their shift. Is that story actually what briefs our life, that gives us the background for our life? and reassurance for living our life. And so Matthew provides the comprehensive context by which we see all God's creation and salvation completed in Jesus. And all the parts of our lives, work, family, friends, memories, dreams, also completed in Jesus. And lacking such a context, we're in danger of seeing Jesus as a mere diversion from the concerns announced in the newspapers. Remember what I said to you the other day about our news feeds? So we either get our orientation and briefing from that and the fear and anxiety and hopelessness that goes along with it, 
or we get briefing, background, and reassurance and orientation towards life from something more fundamental that includes the heartbreaking issues of humanity but cannot be reduced to it. That what gives us our orientation is something that has bo- it is both previous and more substantive. Nothing could be further from the truth than Jesus is a diversion from the concerns announced in the New York Times. Here's the second thing I would just official bishop blessing on Res South Austin as you move into this sentence, that you'd move into it in this sort of way. In terms of your coming, your formation in Christ, so this rhythm of come and go, in terms of your coming to Christ, giving yourself to him as an apprentice, come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And in your going, John 20, in your sentness, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, in a moment, we're going to pray for confirmands, and that's precisely what we're going to pray over them. But if you're not being confirmed this morning, you can sit out there and welcome the Holy Spirit yourself. Welcome the Holy Spirit both into your welcoming, your shaping, your sending. Pray that the Spirit will animate your life together. Pray that the Spirit would empower your life together. Pray that the Spirit would give you both personal and corporate gifts, that he would give you a sense of being authorized by him, that you would feel your sentness, that your, your character would be transformed through the Spirit. Think Galatians 5, that the fruit of the Spirit would continue to grow amongst you. For the language in John 20, when Jesus says, receive the Holy Spirit, the Greek construction there is identical to the upper room. When in a moment, you'll hear Father Sean say, on the night that he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread and broke it and gave it to his friends saying, take, eat. This is the same exact same construction. Take the Holy Spirit. So the notion is, you know, we come to Eucharist like this to, to, to take and eat. How might you respond to John 20 when Jesus says, take, receive the Holy Spirit? Maybe you respond something like this. Often, uh, at least once a day, sometimes more than once a day, I'll pray. um, Almighty Father, maker of heaven and earth, set up your kingdom in our midst. Lord Jesus Christ, son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then I pray, Holy Spirit, breath of the living God, renew me in all the world. Using our bodies as an ally in the spiritual life. Not just that grungy part that makes us eat too much or desire sex too much or whatever, right? That's the way we tend to think of our bodies, that they're the bad parts of us. But actually, there are allies in the spiritual life. I usually pray that prayer kneeling. Well, why do I kneel? Not because it's religious. It reminds me that I am actually under authority while I simultaneously crave authority, right? I crave the ability to be a person of good on the earth. I, that my whole sense of myself is to be a generative person, to sort of s- spread life wherever I go. Well, to do that, I need to have the goodness, the authority, the power, the grace, the anointing, the fruit of the Spirit. Like, I need all that stuff operative in my life. 
And so this morning, I want to invite you as we're praying um, for the confirmants, as I said to them last night, when I lay my hands on them to pray for them, like, I mean it. I'm praying, come Holy Spirit. And I've asked them to mean it <laughs> and to have that sort of posture of, yes, come Holy Spirit. And you can pray along with us as we do so. Amen. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.